So I've had a bit of a revelation or a realization this week. It's interesting, as I, we had a memorial service this week and listening to people talk about death, people from different parts of the community and, um, and kind of accumulation of the last five years of ministering to people in our community as a loved one dies and people gather from all over and you hear people talk about, about death. And it's really been interesting for me to hear how most people believe or understand that, that death uh, or heaven when they die is for, for nice people, which is really interesting. Um, and I tried to listen to this and try to kind of unpack what people say. I'm, I, just this last week I heard someone say, I know my friend is in heaven because that's where all nice people go. And, and I think about that. It's pretty common as I hear it. So for, for people, as I talk with them, for people in our community at least, many people in our community, um, you don't have to be perfect to go to heaven. You don't have to be Mother Teresa or anything. You just have to be uh, a good citizen, kind of. You know, kind to your neighbor, help out here and there. Um, you know, not breaking any major laws, you know, no murder, no rape. You, know. you can speed, you know, that's okay, but, but, but none of the big stuff. You know, it's a kind of a nice, good, law-abiding citizen. You, you give money here and there, you know, 20 bucks to this, $15 to that, maybe $100 here if you're really, you know, passionate about it. You, you're just a nice person. And it's interesting because I don't know if you kind of, as we kind of unpack this, if you see anything missing in that whole ideology or that whole way of looking at heaven. Jesus. Jesus is missing. Now, well, we know that, that we need Jesus. I mean, we're here this morning. Most of us are here because we know that we need Jesus. I mean, Jesus had this, this one time in John's Gospel, he remembers Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. None come to the Father but through me. And I know we live in a time, we live in a culture where exclusive, you know, saying someone can't come in is really, really taboo. Um, and I think Jesus actually did mean for everyone to come in, but through him, not just through being a nice person. And when we're honest, too, we know that even, even those of us who really are working at following Jesus, we know that we have this bent towards sin. We have this bent towards doing things wrong. We have this bent towards being angry. We have this bent towards being selfish. Even at our best moments, we catch pride creeping in, or lust, or betrayal. These things just, they seem to be just a part of the nature of sin in us. And yet when we try to talk with our friends or our neighbors about this, sometimes they just ignore us. Like, best case, they just ignore us. Oh, you know, oh, that's just so-and-so. Or sometimes they try to just dismiss us. Oh, come on, you're just another Christian trying to guilt me into believing what you believe. Or sometimes they get outright defensive. Who gives you the right to judge me in the way that I live, right? Has anybody heard that before? Have you had these, I don't know, have you listened to people talk about death or heaven? Have you had similar experiences? It's interesting as you think about it that we are talking about Jesus kind of like this cure to people who don't think they're sick. We're talking about a savior to people who don't really think they need a lot of saving. We talk about Jesus as forgiver to someone who feels like, I really don't know that I need to be forgiven of anything. I'm a pretty good citizen. 
We talk about Jesus as a way to have eternal hope to heaven when we die. And people say, well, I think I'm a nice person. I'm already going to heaven. That's where nice people go. I say this because, I mean, I'm sure you haven't heard this before and you kind of in the back of your mind know this, but it really changes um, when you start thinking about how, how it reflects the way we talk about Jesus. I mean, we live in a post-Christian community here in Balfour. I mean, if Balfour ever was at one point mostly Christian or mostly Christian worldview, it's not anymore. It's interesting as I listen to people outside of our church and the spirituality that they have. I kind of refer to it as buffet spirituality. I'll take a bit of this and a little bit of that. I don't like how this tastes, so I'm not going to believe that, but I'll take a bit of this. It's funny, it's, I, think, I was thinking about it, this image of my boys. If I were to send them to a buffet, like they'd come back with a plate full of chicken fingers and jello, right? <laughs> it's sort of how people around us, it's kind of how they approach faith or spirituality. It's kind of a, a do-it-yourself kind of faith. And so coming out of a Christian culture, you know, maybe 50 years ago, people held on to the idea of heaven, this idea of paradise when I die. And my loved ones, I'll see them again. They love that part. But they've kind of conveniently left off the whole through Jesus. It's through the Messiah, through the Christ. I've been thinking about this because I've been listening to, uh, to Zechariah and the words that he spoke in this gospel. I'll read it here in a minute. And I am convinced again this week, even more this week, that it is important for us to talk about Jesus as Lord and Savior. What I mean by that is most of us talk about Jesus as Savior, and it is absolutely true, and I am grateful and I praise God that Jesus came, he lived among us, died on a cross so that my sin would be forgiven, that our sin would be forgiven. I praise God for that. You can begin to see in our culture how people who don't think they have much sin and think they're already going to heaven because they're nice, just Jesus as Savior, for some people, they're just like, yeah, no thanks, I don't really need Jesus. I'm already good. We also need to be talking about Jesus as Lord. We need to be living out the reality that Jesus is Lord in our lives. And we've been talking about this for the last two months now. Well, hopefully longer than that. But that Jesus is the Lord of our lives, the way that we live now. Not only heaven when we die, but also the way we live our lives right now. You with me so far? So I've been listening to Zechariah and the words that he says, the words that he, ways he praises God and what he praises God, or what he praises God for. Speak to me again about this. Listen to what he says. And just before I read it, if you remember, Zechariah, for those of you who maybe aren't, probably most of you do, but anyways, just for those of you who haven't, don't remember the story, it's the beginning of Luke's gospel. Zechariah is part of the priest's and he is in the temple, and the, and the angel Gabriel comes to him and says, Zechariah, do not be afraid. You are going to have a son. And Zechariah says, no way. It's not, how am I going to have a son? My wife and I are old, and we, we can't have children anymore. And so the, the angel Gabriel says, you're going to be, you're going to be silent. <laughs> if you're going to question me, you're going to be silent until you have this child. Well, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And she has a son, and they name him John. And the people, the family and all the neighbors are gathered around, and she says, we're going to call him John. And they all say, John, don't you mean Zechariah? No one in your family is even named John. And so in that time, 
you know, wives had a different lower place in society. And so they go to, the, they go to Zechariah and say, okay, what do you want to name him? What's his name really going to be? And he says, his name will be John. And his tongue is loosened and he begins to praise God. And people all around begin to wonder, what kind of child is this going to be? And this is what Zechariah says. He says, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the path of peace. Now, if you look at this sheet, and you can hopefully you guys are reading your Bible too, but it, right at 76, there's a bit of a space, verse 76. There's two parts to this praise, to Zechariah's praise. And the first part, well, let me just say, the first part is Zechariah praising God for salvation. But he means salvation a bit different than we usually mean it when we say the word. Salvation from our enemies, from the hands of those who hate us. Before we get into that, though, I need to remind us again of the time that Zechariah lived in. Zechariah lived 2,000 years ago. Luke is careful to tell us it was during the reign of King Herod. <clears throat> when Herod had this, this tyrant rule over the land of Israel, he killed even his own sons because he thought that they threatened his, his uh, role as king. But the bug didn't stop with Herod. As bad as things were under him, actually, Herod was under Augustus Caesar the Roman Empire. Herod was somewhat of a pawn in a tiny little um, country within the Roman Empire. Now, the interesting for us to understand is what it was like in the Roman Empire. I mean, there were goods, there were part of it that was good and there was a lot of it that was hard, that was bad. See, the Romans, is, the Romans occupied Israel. It was an occupation of their land. Sure, people had their own king, but their king reported to Caesar. So the people were taxed. That's how Rome kept going. That's how Rome uh, survived, was by taking over more and more countries and bringing in more and more taxes. People were taxed so much that the rich got richer and the poor got poor. And if you remember some of the stories in the Gospels about tax collectors, they would collect tax from the people and they would take a cut but they always had to make sure that the next person up in the ladder got their cut too all the way along people took a cut people were oppressed they were uh, in a horrible situation because of the taxes just trying to live and yet having to pay taxes I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Nativity there's a scene where Mary um, her dad has to sell their borough who they use to do work around their farm they have to sell him to pay for Mary or to pay for their taxes, or they were going to take Mary, his daughter. So taxes are crushing people. 
Not only that, but there's this thing in, in the time they called it Pax Romana, or Roman peace. It's this ironic term, and it depends on how you use it. Sort of like in politics today where they call, if you're, a, if you're the bad guy, they call you a rebel or a terrorist, but if you're the side that they like, then they call you a freedom fighter. Pax Romana was similar. They kept the peace, but much like a mob boss keeps the peace in his neighborhood through violence, through oppression, through fear. Now, it's interesting because we have the cross, for example. I mean, over 2,000 years of following Jesus, the cross has taken on a whole new sense of meaning for us, a sense of hope and forgiveness. In Zechariah's time, you know what a cross was used for? A cross was used to torture and execute rebels and runaway slaves. Now, here's the thing. Both rebels and runaway slaves have something in common. They're part of the system. They're part of the oppression. If a slave runs away, you want to kill him. You want to put him on a cross so he dies an excruciating death, hung up in the air for everyone to see so that every other slave around him gets the point and thinks they never want to run away. Same thing with a rebel. You want to put him on a cross. that They die an excruciating death, lifted up above everyone for all to see, hung there, left to hang there so that everyone passing by can see what happens to a rebel, that you never want to challenge Rome or the empire, the system of power. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie or read the book, Hunger Games. I'm not going to tell you the whole thing, but there's, this, there's kind of two groups. There's the capital and there's the districts. The capital has all these systemic ways of holding down the districts killing their children or putting their children in death matches to fight each other. This is all part of the system to keep the districts down, to keep them oppressed and under their thumb, that they never rise up. There's a lot of similarities between that and what happened with Rome and with Israel. They were brutal. If you ever got out of line, they came and they quickly and brutally put you back in line to keep the empire going keep anyone from getting the idea that they are going to rise up and throw off the Roman yoke. So this is kind of the setting where Zechariah is in. Even though he's living in his own land, even though he's worshiping God, he feels like he's still in exile. Just now he's exiled in his own land. And it's in this situation that he begins to praise God. Listen to this again. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he has said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Now, I don't know, maybe some of you hear the words that Zechariah is using there. I didn't notice it until I started reading um, other uh, theologians, other uh, uh, New Testament scholars. It's really subtle. I don't know if any of you picked it up. But the words that Zechariah is using there, those are words of the Exodus to redeem a people, 
salvation from the hand of our enemies and from those who hate us. To take a people to save them so that they might serve the Lord in righteousness and holiness without fear. These are all echoes of the Exodus. This amazing story when God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, brought them, redeemed them and saved them, redeemed them to a new life with him that they might live without fear in holiness and righteousness following their God. So Zechariah is talking about a new exodus here. God, lead us in a new exodus out from under Rome. In a new exodus where we can come and be with you. We can be connected to you and follow you in righteousness and holiness. But not only that, Zechariah uses the words of the covenant with David. A horn from the house of David. We don't really say that in these times, do we? No, what he's saying is a great leader, a great king, the Messiah out of the house of David who would come and save us. Save us, and in this case, he means salvation from our enemies. Salvation from the hand of those who hate us. He isn't talking about our spiritual salvation at this point. He's talking about social salvation. Salvation from social evils, from political evils, from economic evils. When he's talking about saving in this instance, he's talking about the world and the way we live right now. That's the interesting thing. See, Zechariah is saying, Lord, please come and save us. Redeem us. Redeem us from the, the oppression that we feel from the Roman Empire. And we're going to get to this in a minute. He's also saying, redeem us from the sin that I have in my life. He needs rescue from Rome and salvation from sin. It's interesting as we talk about this, and kind of how it relates to the, or the, the realization that I had this week about people in our community when they talk about death and dying in heaven. Because I realize that as most Christians, most evangelical Christians, we usually talk about the gospel in terms of Jesus came and died on a cross to save us from our sin so that we can go to heaven. Now that's really basic, and I know that we mean more than that, but oftentimes I think that's the impression we give to people that that's almost entirely, that's all that Jesus did. Now, if that was all he did, I would still be grateful. I can still see how God, how his redemption in my life, how forgiveness of my sin has changed my life, and I am grateful for that. But as I hear Zechariah, as I hear the whole gospel, as I hear Jesus and I hear Paul teaching about what it means that Messiah has come, I also understand that it's so much bigger than that as well. But you can understand how if we talk about Jesus only as Savior who forgives our sin so that we can go to heaven. I kind of understand why people in our community, they can hear that and, think, and, think, and say to us, thank you, but no thanks. I think I'm okay. I'm a nice person. I know I'm already going to heaven. I know I'll see my loved one there. But as I listen to Zechariah, as I listen to his words, Salvation is, does include the forgiveness of our sin, but it's also much bigger. It's salvation from things that are wrong in our society, things that are wrong with our politics, things that are wrong with our economics. It includes all of life. This Messiah who has come that Zechariah was praising God for includes all of our life. 
Everything, every aspect. So it's not surprising to me that when, when Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, he says that Jesus is raised to God's right hand in the heavenlies over every rule and power and authority and dominion and every name that has been named. I think in that point, referring to Augustus Caesar. The salvation that Zechariah is talking about includes the whole world. He's talking about Jesus as Lord and Savior. Savior who saves us from our sin and makes us right with God, but also Lord of our lives and directs the way we live right now. But that's just the first part of it. That's just the first part of what Zechariah says. He also says this. He says, speaking about John, his son, he says, And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. I want to focus just on verse 77 and 78. Let me just read this part again. He says, To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sin. Through the forgiveness of their sin. Knowledge of salvation. This is good news. I mean, this is the part that we as Christians have been, we have heard uh, for years, that we are forgiven. Regardless of what we've done, the things that we're ashamed to talk about, the things that we don't even like to talk about, the things that we've done that nobody else even knows, we are forgiven. We are forgiven in Christ. And through this forgiveness, because of God's tender mercy, his steadfast love, his love that keeps on going and going, regardless of what we've done, we are forgiven. We're made right with our Father in heaven. Zechariah is talking about this. Because he knew that not only did he need salvation from Rome, from the empire that was, that was tearing apart their lives, He also needed salvation from sin. Paul talked about this in his letter to the Romans. See, Zechariah was living under Torah, living under a law that he could not keep because of sin. Not that the Torah was bad, but that his sin kept him from following Torah, kept everyone from following Torah. Paul talks about this. So they were condemned under the law. Not because of the law. The law doesn't condemn. God gave the law to bring people back to him. But because of their sin, they needed a Messiah. So Zechariah is praising God that this Messiah has come. And he said, come to those to, to come to those who are sitting in darkness, to those who are living in the land of death or the shadow of death. When you start thinking about this, There are people in our community. No doubt some of you feel like you are living in darkness in the shadow of death. But there are people all around us who live in this place. People who are abused in our community. People who are utterly alone 
They spend week in, week out, trapped at home. Alone. There are people in our community who are addicted to alcohol, drugs, gambling, pornography. There are people in our community who are addicted and their lives are being torn apart because of it. There are people in our community who are struggling just to pay the bills. Always this tension, this stress of just trying to figure out how to make things work, how to, how to buy food this week. In fact, there are people, there are women in our community, and I know this because I have met one, who is selling herself in prostitution so she can pay her bills for her child. There is brokenness and darkness in the community around us. And we need salvation from it. People need salvation from it. There's even darkness in the shadow of death in middle-class families throughout our community. I see it. People who look like they have everything, fancy house, big boats, but their marriage is a storefront. It's all a facade. They're miserable. I see uh, high-ranking public officials who drink just to be normal. I see people in our community who look like they have it all, yet they live lives of quiet desperation. Anxiety about life and everything seems to be going wrong. Nothing seems to be right. They're never content. They're drowning in anxiety. And so they buy stuff hoping that it will help because it does just for a minute. You buy something big and fancy and it feels good for a little bit and they start to crave They become addicted to this. Or they become addicted to escape. Whether it's drunkenness every night or that, that vacation or that holiday that they're looking forward to in two months that they seem to always have a vacation every, every three or four months because they need something to look forward to. Because life just gnaws at them. It just grates on them. They know that something is not right. They are not content and they don't know why. And they think if they buy more stuff or escape more often that somehow that will finally do it. There are people in our community who look like they have it all and yet they are living these lives of quiet desperation. We were meant for more than this. We were meant for Messiah, for the Christ to come, to give us life, not only salvation, not only forgiveness of our sin, that we can be right with God and reconciled and everything that comes from that, but also that we could be redeemed, saved from the evils of our society the things that hold us down and tear lives apart. Jesus came to give us life and life more full. Right now, while we live, not just someday when we die and go to heaven, but right now. I hear this in Zechariah's song. Both elements of this gospel, this good news that we have salvation, forgiveness of our sin, but also salvation from the evils of our society. Because God has come, because the King has come and He's brought His kingdom. Not fully yet. We pray for that every day. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Bring your kingdom. Make things that are broken here, make them right. But it is come. I see flashes of God's kingdom every day. 
Okay, so what does this mean for us, right? We hear this song of Zechariah and we're talking about salvation and the, the expanse of it. Not, just, not only our salvation from our sin, but also, and if, if that could be any better, the salvation from all the things that are broken in our world. That God is coming to make things right. In Advent, we wait and we pray, come Lord Jesus, make things right again. But how does this matter in our lives right now? Well, I hear hints for us in Zechariah's song. And it's just this small bit here. It says, By which the rising sun will come to us from the heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. That we follow Jesus on this path of peace. And I'm just going to use the word shalom instead of peace because we think we have all these other ideas of peace, but we can kind of load up shalom how we need to today. God's shalom, peace in Hebrew, wasn't just the end of war and violence. It was the presence of prosperity. It was the presence of God's blessing. The image I could think of was the way you feel after an amazing supper with your whole family. And you're sitting at the table and you're full and you're content. And you're just, you can just sit there and no one has to talk. I mean, there usually is. If your family's anything like mine, everybody's talking. But you can just sit there and enjoy it. You're content. You don't feel like you need to buy something. You don't feel like you need to drink something so you can numb the pain that you feel. You feel content, full. I hear Jesus I hear Zechariah saying, Lord, we want to follow you in this path of shalom. But it's not only shalom for ourselves. It's shalom for everyone. I was talking with my my Hebrew tutor, uh, Julie, and I was asking her about this. Because in North America, when we talk about salvation, we usually mean my salvation, personally. And I was asking her about it. She said, you know, in, in, in in Hebrew thought, we're, none of us are okay until all of us are okay. So I'm not fine unless my neighbor is fine. And it's interesting because our idea of salvation is only between us and God, very individualistic. But she was talking about it, that in, in Judaism, that they need everyone to be faithful, to follow the law before Messiah will come. There's this sense of in it together. And I think we could benefit from understanding our faith that way, that we are in it together. That even though that we might think about it this way, but, but we're not okay unless our neighbor's okay. I mean, we know what this feels like. We're not okay unless our family's okay, right? You know this. Most of you feel this. If your kids or your sister or one of your siblings or your parents are not okay, you feel that tension. I'm saying that as followers of Jesus, I think we need to feel that tension even when it's our neighbor, even when it's a stranger. Jesus has come to give us this personal salvation. And I don't mean personal as in private. Because that's often what we think about personal, right? Someone will ask you, you know, tell me what you think about Jesus, and people will say, that's personal. What they mean is, that's private, I, I don't want to talk about that with you. When I say personal, what I mean is personal, like a person. God is no longer just God up there in heaven. God is Abba, our Father. God is Emmanuel, God with us. We can have this personal relationship with Jesus. We can talk to God like a person. We can have this relationship with him. 
I hear Zechariah saying, follow this path of peace. Follow Jesus on this path. Because I think, as I think about the people in our community, come back to where we began. People who think about death and heaven, that heaven is just for nice people when they die. For us to keep talking about Jesus only as Lord and Savior and how you get to heaven when you die. I think the Holy Spirit can work in that and change people's lives in that. Absolutely. But I'm not surprised anymore when people just say, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. I think I'm okay. And I, I don't know about you, but I haven't had much trying to convince people, well, actually, no, you're not okay. They just say, no, I don't, need, I don't have time for it. But when we start understanding that Jesus is Lord and Savior, Savior when we die that we go to heaven, but also Lord of our lives right now and the way that we live right now, changes everything. When people begin to see how Christ matters in our lives right now, the ways that we shop, the things that we buy, the things that we don't buy, the way that we treat people, the money, the money that we give to others, the ways that we help, the ways we show up and give our time to help our neighbor. And they ask finally someday after years, why are you doing this? And we say, because Christ has changed my life. Because Jesus is my Lord and I think this is what he's called me to do, the way he's called me to live. That we live as kingdom citizens now, so I want, you to, I want us to do one thing this week. As we're listening to Zechariah and this idea that Jesus is Lord and Savior, I want us to do one thing this week. I want us to live out of both realities. And what I mean by that is <clears throat> uh, spend time living out of the reality that Jesus is Savior. And most of us get this. We hear this a lot in church, how to live as Jesus is Savior. Like devotion, thanksgiving, praise, praise God. Follow him faithfully. But when it comes to living, or to living out the reality that Jesus is Lord, that can be a little bit more confusing. What does that mean? And um, what came to mind was last Saturday, uh, Dave was speaking at the men's breakfast, talking about the ways that he tries to live out his faith at his work. Now, if you ask Dave, I know he'll say, you know, I don't do it perfectly all the time, and that's not really the point. But that he tries. Each morning he goes and he starts, or tries to start, with the word of God praying for God's guidance each day. And we were talking about it last week. I was asking about it because I was, you know, bless you, Dave. That's what we all need to be doing. The way we work, the way that we're retired, the way that we uh, just live in our community. To ask God to guide that. That the kingdom would shine through us. That God's way, kingdom way, would shine through us. Dave and I were talking about the way that works out and the way he treats his employees, the way he treats his clients the kind of work that he does. And Dave does top-shelf stuff. And there's ways he could cut corners, but he doesn't. And I know some of you, as I've listened to some of you and the work that you do, I can think of others, um, the way that you do business as a reflection of your faith. That you do everything the best that you can because it's not just like how do we save a buck, but how do we represent the kingdom in the way we do our work, the way we build houses, the way we run wires or plumbing the ways we take phone calls, the ways that we work with children, the ways that we are a neighbor. How do we reflect the kingdom? That Jesus is Lord of our lives right now and Savior, our hope when we die. So I want us to do this one thing. Live out both realities this week. Spend time reading this passage 
Read the words of Zechariah. Praise God for our salvation, that we have been made right with God through Jesus. But then also, begin thinking about, live intentionally the reality that Jesus is Lord of our lives right now. Amen.